0: welcome to truly fit welcome to the truly fit podcast where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth i am your host steve Waschuta, co-founder of truly fit and author of fitness business 101 on thursdays as a reminder it is just me talking about something that is either trending in the health or fitness or medical or business communities or a topic that a guest asked me a question about that i'm going to expand on on mondays or the interview episodes where i get somebody on who's an expert in a particular area in fitness health medical or business and they give us actionable insights and tips on something that we can uh, use to either help ourselves in health or wealth, or our clients in health and wealth. Today, uh, I'm going to talk about a bunch of different topics that all, I guess, you would say, surround risk management and uncertainty and decision making. And you know, I talk about this in many different forms on the podcast, or in my reels, or just in my life, or as I'm mentoring young personal trainers. I tell people, hey, you have to you have to really think about what. You're putting out now, content-wise, and how that's going to affect you down the road. But I want to I want to get away from like sort of the social media conversations we have all the time here, and really just talk about life and risk management and uncertainty and decision making and survivorship bias and things of this nature. First, I'm going to tell it through a little anecdote, a story about a friend of mine, and then I'm going to go into more uh, <clears throat> specifics on on defining all of these things and, and why they're important and how they relate to fitness and health. You know, I have a friend who is somebody who loves to ski and mountain bike, and kayak, and raft, and do all these kind of like outdoorsy exercises. A lot of these are dangerous, especially skiing. It doesn't matter how great you are at skiing, the variables of speed, and other people on the slopes, and whatever the snow is that day, and all all the other things that could potentially happen, there's a lot of injuries in skiing, right? So it doesn't matter how good you are, again, it it is a dangerous activity, and it's a risky activity. And at some point in your life, if you're someone who just says, I'm just going to continue to ski no matter what, because I love it, that's fine. But you're making that decision. That is a risky decision. And this person got hurt. They had a very, very bad injury, a broken back. And their sort of response to this naturally was, you know, I had so many things going right in my life at this time. My businesses was going well. I felt really good physically and all these things. And then, you know, I, I encountered this hiccup. Uh, that is a terrible way to think about this. If you're somebody who gets into an accident because you took a large risk and then you think of it as a hiccup, you're going to continue to get into accidents because you don't put the onus on yourself for taking these risks. I'm very risk adverse. I I, I actually have never gone skiing and I never will go skiing because to me, the risk reward just isn't worth it. Uh, my body and, and staying injury-free is of the utmost importance to me in my career because I, as a personal trainer, it's important to me that I need to demonstrate movements to my clients and that I can move in all all directions and, and that I don't have a lot of limitations when I'm going through the process. And also that's what I care about. I care about my health. I feel better when I can move and, and do these things. So so my risk my risk assessment of something like skiing is, are you nuts? Why would you do this? But well, let's go ahead and say that I'm taking it too far and that it is something you can do. Well, then there would be different kinds of skiing that you can do. Maybe you don't go as fast as you possibly can. Maybe you don't have a, uh, a camera on you while you're skiing or snowboarding and you're not focused properly. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of different risk assessments that you can do and risk management when you're thinking about this and decision-making, staying healthy long-term. Bill Parcells, who's a famous football coach, used this term, the best ability is availability. And we have to think about that. We have to think about being available. If you're out of the game, you're not breaking any records. You're not doing anything good. You're not you're not helping your team. You're not helping yourself. And we have to make sure that all of our risk management, and we look at uncertainty, we look at decision making, we want to make sure that 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 we avoid the worst possible case scenario, which is you know, death in certain instances, right? But really, it's just not being able to do that particular thing, being pulled out of that game. In my in my realm, it'd be pulled out of the fitness game because something happened where I couldn't manage my day-to-day in fitness because of a physical issue or ailment that it was my fault, right? That, that I didn't take the proper risk management and decision-making. I think it's also important to differentiate low chance and low risk or high chance and high risk when we talk about these risk profiles. Let me uh, unpack that. If you play Russian Roulette, you have a low chance that a bad outcome is going to happen, right? So one one in six, let's say. I don't actually know. I don't know guns very well. I don't know how many bullets are in the chamber, but let's just say one in six. But the outcome itself is a high risk of being bad, right? So that the it's a high risk when it goes bad. It's a low potential for it to go bad. Does that make sense? It's very important that we differentiate those two the the, the chance of the bad thing happening and how bad the thing is happening. And that's why, again, this sounds like an anti-skiing uh, podcast, but that's why skiing, comparatively speaking, to let's say uh, doubles tennis is so risky because both, you have both you're high in both profiles. You're high in the chances that you're going to get injured and you're high in the chances that that injury is going to be bad. So when, when measuring risk overall, it's very important we look at both of those. So let's go to turn to something like businesses. I have multiple income revenue streams, so I can take a risk, let's say a 1 in 100 risk that I bet on. I put some money into a, a technology or another business, someone else's business, and I'm taking a risk. And it's a very low percentage chance that that's going to be successful. But it's the risk profile is also low, although I have a low percentage chance of striking gold. It doesn't really matter because I have other income streams and income revenues coming in, and I'm not dependent upon this to be successful. So we need to look at risk in both ways. What are the what are the uh, like the the costs when we talk talk about opportunity costs? What are the opportunity costs for me not going into this? Is is this such a uh, if even if it's one in one hundred, is the risk? profile very low if and when this doesn't work out, that it's not going to hurt me? Or is this a high risk profile? Am I putting all of my eggs into one basket? And if this doesn't work out, is this going to go very bad? And you know, there's something called survivorship bias. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. And that's when we see people who are, let's say, successful and they get through something. And we think that We can also do that. And we think that that is the way to success because we saw that person do it. But what we don't see in the background is all of the other people who also tried to do that. And let's say, they, they failed and they, or they got injured doing it. So let me give you a, like a very uh, particular scenario here. Maybe you see somebody who's doing these giant Olympic lift movements, these, cl- these, these cleans and these snatches, and, you're, and they're really jacked. And you're like, oh my gosh, look at this person. They're super healthy and they're doing these snatches and cleans and they're super jacked. Well, how many people have got injured trying to do that, those exercises that you just don't see? Those videos aren't up. They're not making these videos every time they get injured trying to do these movements. Or afterwards, you know, two days later, they're actually, you know, they're feeling the soreness now in, in in a bad way, an improper way, because their form was bad. Or how many times did that individual person maybe get injured trying to do that movement, and they just didn't show you or failed to do that movement, right? Let's well, not even talk about injuries. Let's just say failed. You're only seeing the success, so you you're only you're, you're programmed to think A equals B, right? I, I see this person doing A. And I see the result, but you're not seeing all of the failures. And if you don't see the failures, you're going to have the survivorship bias all the time. And that happens a lot in fitness and health. So we're only seeing the good that comes from these results. We're not seeing the bad. And that survivorship bias is screwing with our heads and making us make you know bad decisions. And this is in another way, when talking about survivorship bias, near misses have a lot to do with this, at least in, in my opinion, how I see this. We could talk about near misses in a bunch of different ways, literally and, <clears throat> and figuratively, but let's go ahead and say when you're crossing the street, you may decide to jaywalk and walk across the street and, and just, just get missed by a car and then not worry about it the next time. But you should almost, you should psychologically count that as, as you were hit. You should learn a lesson and say, I shouldn't be jaywalking, at least in this particular intersection, because I almost got hit last time. And we don't look at the near misses as failures. But essentially, they are, right? It's, it's it's just by happenstance that you didn't get hit by the car, that that person slammed on the brakes in just the right amount of time. Now, as a child, these near misses are somewhat of a learning tool, and they allow us to to not do those things again, especially if the results become bad. But as an adult, for some reason, we're more likely to comp- compartmentalize these things. Let's say you work at a, a factory and there is a, a machine which everybody uses, and here and there, the mach- there's something that goes wrong with the machine, and a uh, spark flies out and, and, uh, and just misses hitting somebody in the eye or something, right? It's like, well, how, how many near misses do we need to take until that machine is, then, is taken apart and fixed? Wh- when do we take the incident seriously enough? And I think, that, again, the important part here is, like I've talked about earlier, is really measuring the difference between the percentage chance that something can happen and how bad that event will actually be if and when it does happen. And then sort of marrying those two together and seeing, is is this decision worthwhile for me? We, could, we should be doing this in business, but also in our fitness and health programs and routines. And that's why I take a lot of exercises out that, that have any sort of... I'm, I'm completely risk-averse in exercise. I don't do any Olympic lifts because I don't have to, because I don't find them fun. Some people find them fun. They find them challenging and in just the right way, and they like to lift super heavy weight. I don't. I have other ways in which I can keep on muscle and I can make sure that I'm doing them in a healthy, safe manner. So at some point you have to assess your risk profile. And as, as me, I'm getting being 38. And, and I have to assess how do I wanna change my lifting regimen and all or my overall health regimen moving into my later years of my life? Is it worth having those few extra drinks? Is it worth just having a few drinks at home if I'm not with friends? The answer used to be yes. Now it's always no, it's a hard no for me. So you have to, you have to really start to drill down and those long term, like we talked about, what what is the time horizon and your strategies, and how do your short term decisions affect your long term decisions? Ultimately, you know that you could extend this onto other areas of life. I told you I've mentioned many times in this podcast before. I have clients who are hyper successful in business, right, millionaires, and they've done everything you could in their possible industry, and they regret a lot of it. They end up being, you know, they retiring in their late fifties, early sixties, and they have a ton of money, but they have like, you know, spinal fusions and they have arthritis and they have, you know, other really bad long term health issues because they didn't take care of their health. They didn't get to go to their kids baseball games because they were flying all over the country in board meetings. And, you know, the, ultimately, the, these are all de- decision making in, in sort of another form of risk management, which is, you know, you, you only live one life. You're only going to have, let's say, uh, 10 Christmases with your kids, maybe from the age of uh, uh two to 12, probably less than that, right? Probably like eight, probably from the age of two to 10 before they find out, you know, Santa Claus uh, isn't real. I hope there's no uh, young kids listening right now. So, you, you know, the, the, these are these are the things we have to think about long-term when we when we go through this risk management, when we go through this decision-making and most people don't. And part of it is the strategies for your particular time horizon matter. Uh, I'll, I'll give a sports analogy, but then I'll give me more of like a business analogy. You know, to, to win one game, your strategy in let's say a seven-game basketball series is gonna be way different than your strategy in in to to win the whole series. So you might have a, a player, let's call it, let's like Anthony Davis of the Lakers. You know, he's seven foot two. And when you have guys who are seven foot two, they don't move as well and they don't recover as well. as a guy who's six foot two. They just don't, right? Anatomically speaking, things are harder on their joints. And you always see these seven-foot guys, seven-foot-plus guys in his case, with with feet issues and lower body, you know, lower chain issues. So you're going to have to handle the volume of minutes that you play in Anthony Davis across a whole series. So if you played him 40 minutes in game one and 40 minutes in game two— well, yeah, you might have won game one and two, but now what's going to happen for the rest of the series? So we have to think of our life like that, right? So we, when, you're, when you're looking at the, the time horizon and what your ultimate stri- goals are, your strategies have to fall into that goal. Whether you're talking about wealth, which we have before when Pat Darby or one of our other uh, financial professional comes on and explains to us how we need to plan for retirement, or whether you're talking about your fitness and your you know when you get to a certain age and things are just too risky, Everybody I know is injured some in some some way. Everybody. I'm I'm one of the. I mean, I have a, a finger injury that has nothing to do with lifting. It has to do with uh, you know a football hitting the tip of my finger. But everyone I know is has been injured due to some sort of lifting uh, debacle, right? Or maybe it's just long term wear and tear. The people that I know in fitness, and and a part of it is because at some point they should have transitioned to a less risk profile set of exercises, and they didn't. And you only know once you get injured, whatever those exercises are. I don't overhead press anymore because I've had some neck issues in the past that I'm still working on. Now, they're not neck issues as far as I have any pain. It's just lack of movement sort of in that cervical column area, lack of mobility where I feel, I don't know, uncomfortable doing overhead shoulder presses, but I have other ways to work my shoulders. I don't back squat. Why? Because just anatomically, I just don't feel good after I back squat. Sometimes I have lower back pain. Sometimes when the right muscles aren't engaged, I will. I, I don't need to back squat. I can still work all of the proper muscles. First of all, your glutes are designed to, to function in walking. If you can't fire your glutes when you're walking, then your glutes aren't firing properly anyway. But there's a million different ways I can get my quads and my glutes and and all all of my different leg muscles firing because I'm a personal trainer and I know how to work the body. I don't have to back squat. I don't barbell bench press. I dumbbell bench press, but I don't barbell bench press. I don't back squat. I don't shoulder press, and I rarely deadlift. And you go, "Oh my God, you're a fitness professional, and you you don't do th- you know three of the most uh, known moves in fitness?" Yeah, because I know other ways that are less risky where I can engage the muscle and not worry about so much wear and tear on my joints and ligaments. Because over time, there's a difference between smashing your joints and building up muscle, and then also there's a difference between you know when you're younger. And uh, hormones are flowing, and you recover better just because that's our bodies recover better when we're younger. You can do more risk, you can do riskier exercises. So you can push yourself. Hypertrophy is easier in a sense because your body's going to recover. But you can't build muscle the same way, and you can't do the exercises the same way at 38 as you could when you're 18. You just can't. That's not what our bodies are designed for. And you have to come to the realization. And there's so many of these health and fitness professionals who aren't. Upfront with people about their injuries and how often they're injured, and and I think that's that's a problem too. I, that would be the first question that I would ask. I would ask my if I was hiring a health and fitness professional, I would ask them two questions. Never ask them how long they've been in health and fitness because this is a job where you work and you get paid on an hourly basis. So you could essentially be in the industry for twenty years, but have never even but haven't don't even have ten thousand hours yet. Because you, you only work two hours a day or something, right? As opposed to someone like me, who at some point in my life, I was working eight to 12 hours a day appointments. So I would ask them, how many hours have you worked? How many, how many individual hour sessions have you worked as a fitness professional? Not how many years you've worked as a fitness professional. Then secondly, I would ask them, what are your current injuries and how are you dealing with them? Because that, that means a lot, right? Ultimately, you want to know that your personal trainer, your, your person who is in health and fitness, if your goal is long-term health and wellness, which I assume it is, and not just like to say get up on stage or something... You want to know that they not only know how to avoid injuries, but they know how to deal with injuries when you get them. Because, yes, some small injuries are inevitable, even, even if you take almost majority of the risk out. There needs to be some sort of risk. Any any lifting of weights is some sort of risk. So, yes, you're going to get injured from here to here, but the, the level of injury is always sort of commiserate with the level of risk you're taking, right? If I if want, I st- once I start to deadlift four and 500 pounds, I'm the the injury is going to be more profound than if I'm curling uh, 12-pound dumbbells. So t- take that into account if you're working with a health and fitness professional or if you yourself are a health health and fitness professional, ask yourself that. How many injuries do I have? How do I deal with my injuries? And if I can't control those things, how am I supposed to be working with clients and helping them with the ultimate goal, which should be for everybody in health and fitness no matter what, no matter what you do is is the person's long-term health and wellness. That's why I talk about time horizons and strategies. Yes, we have some short-term uh, goals and we have to use strategies to help those short-term goals, but they should not take away from the ultimate long-term time horizon, whatever strategy we have to put for their long-term health and wellness. This has been an episode of the Truly Fit Podcast. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you, social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.